for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week on the show, we are exploring child well-being in North Carolina. What are the key indicators? How does North Carolina stack up? And what can the state do to improve the lives of North Carolina's children? We'll be talking with a researcher from NC Child, a nonprofit that focuses on children's issues. And then we're going to talk with Dr. Mandy Cohen, North Carolina's Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, about the state's role. Should be a great discussion. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. As expected, Governor Roy Cooper vetoed the two-year state budget passed by the GOP-led General Assembly, and also as expected, they moved quickly to override the veto, and the new budget took effect on July 1. The General Assembly adjourned before the July 4th holiday, but their adjournment resolution sets up at least two more sessions this year in August and September to take up any additional vetoes by the governor and redraw electoral maps, as ordered by the Supreme Court, at a minimum. But practically any issue could be brought up, so buckle up. The lawsuit filed by the State Board of Education against the North Carolina General Assembly and State Superintendent Mark Johnson finally saw the inside of a courtroom last week as attorneys representing both sides presented their cases before a three-judge panel who will decide it. Attorneys for the State Board argue that the state constitution is clear on the authority of the Board of Education, while attorneys for the state argue that the North Carolina General Assembly can set laws that govern education, including changing the role of the State Board. A ruling is likely a few weeks away. A bill sponsored by Wake County Senator Chad Barefoot could change how North Carolina prepares teachers if and when it becomes law. While the bill has many components around teacher licensure, much of the debate centered around opening up the state to for-profit private teacher preparation programs like Texas-based online program Teachers of Tomorrow. That group has been lobbying legislators hard to allow them to train teachers in North Carolina, an area that has largely been the province of our state's public and private colleges and universities. In the closing days of the session, questions were raised about a campaign contribution by Teachers of Tomorrow to Senator Barefoot. The North Carolina House actually tried to amend Senator Barefoot's bill to expedite the entry of the program into North Carolina, but that ultimately failed. Finally, a bill to study the possible breakup of the state's largest school districts, Wake County and Charlotte-Mecklenburg, was approved by state legislators. An effort to add study, a study merging small districts to the bill was rejected. Opponents of the bill said breaking up large districts could, add, could lead to resegregation. Proponents of the bill say it's more about local control. We're going to explore this issue in a future episode. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines, as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about child well-being in North Carolina. And we have a terrific guest up first to talk about some of the key facts and indicators about child well-being. We have Layla Bell. Layla is the Director of Research and Data at NC Child. And as I mentioned, NC Child is a nonprofit that advances public policies that improve the lives of North Carolina children. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you, Keith. All right, so let's, let's just start out. Let's sort of set a little uh, sort of the uh, baseline for our viewers. What is child well-being in, in your organization's view? It really refers to whether or not children have those basic building blocks that enable them to be healthy, to be successful, and enables them to thrive as they transition to adulthood. 
Now, we, one of the reasons why I invited you on the show is just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Annie uh, E. Casey Foundation released their annual index, and, and they rank all the states and uh, sort of how they're doing. I think we're going to have some, some data maybe on the screen, but also in some of our breaks. So, so how did North Carolina fare in that index? And kind of you know, just tell us a little bit about what the components of that are. Right, so the Kids Count Data Book is an annual analysis that's produced by the Annie Casey Foundation, and it creates comparable state-level rankings of child well-being. And it looks at how children are doing in four different areas. So economic well-being, education, health, and family and community. And in this year's data book, we saw that North Carolina ranked 33rd in the country for overall child well-being. So that really pushes us to the bottom half of the country right. in terms of how well our children are faring. Right. And so, I mean, so the, the, the purpose of getting this information out, uh, I guess, is part of the reason is, one, is to raise awareness, but you're talking about policy. So when you look at those areas, and I'm, I'm looking at the, some of the charts right now, when you talk about economic well-being, education, health, I mean, what are the things that, that, in your view, pose the greatest threat for children in North Carolina today? Well, North Carolina's poorest showing was really in the economic well-being domain. We ranked 37th in the country. We saw some modest improvement in those indicators, which include things like child poverty, the percent of children who live in a home where their parents lack full-time employment, whether or not they're living in homes that have a high housing cost burden, which essentially means they're living in homes where their housing costs gobbles up an increasing proportion of their budget. And finally, our percent of young people who are either out of school or not working. When we look at the data, we saw some modest improvement in all of those indicators, but the context here is critical. North Carolina ranks 13th in the nation for child poverty. We tie with a couple of other states in that area. One in four of our kids live in poverty, and we fare far worse than the national average in this area. And it's concerning because we know, really, poverty is one of the most negative and damaging experience in terms of children's healthy growth and development. It affects their future academic outcomes. It affects their future health outcomes. It even affects how successfully they transition to the workforce. Right. So this is a significant threat for kids and families in North Carolina. And I know we, we look at it at the public school forum, we, we focus on poverty too in, in terms of educational outcomes. And one of the concerns we've been tracking like school finance and other things is that some of these things feel almost structural now. They're, they're, they're really locked in. We have, it's been referred to as two North Carolinas. We're, we're filming this show today here in Wake County. I mean, this is a, a booming area. Obviously there's poverty here too but you just drive one hour east uh, toward the coast, and it's, it's really a different state. That's exactly right. And so in a different domain, we have an indicator that looks at the percent of children living in high-poverty neighborhoods. And what we're seeing is that poverty in North Carolina is becoming increasingly concentrated. About 14% of kids in our state live in a high-poverty area. This is significant because those high-poverty areas are less likely to have things like grocery stores that enable parents to purchase, purchase healthy and nutritious foods for their families. Those are communities that are more likely to have under-resourced schools, that are more likely to experience things like community crime and violence, and all of those really have an impact on children's healthy growth and development. Where, um, are, there, um, are there some areas that were rated that we're actually seeing some improvement? I mean, we went, I mean the whole country went through a, a, a terrible recession, 2008, 2009. We've recovered in a lot of ways, um, but are there some areas that have improved? 
Well, that's exactly right. We saw the recession that pushed up child poverty in the state. We're seeing that families haven't really recovered in terms of their economic well-being. But the data book also shows uh, a, a significant improvement in the percent of children who um, have health insurance coverage. So about 96% of children in North Carolina currently have health insurance coverage, which means we are approaching near universal coverage. And this is significant because health insurance coverage is kind of one of the basic right. kind of things that children need in order to achieve their, their best health and well-being. It enables them to get healthy child checkups, to make sure that they're getting preventative care, which means that they are staying in good health versus having to go to an emergency room and trying to um, address these kind of costly illnesses that occur when children don't get their preventative care and checkups. Right, right. So is that, um, so that's obviously an area that we've seen a little bit improvement. Is there a concern? I mean, look, there's, look, we, you can't turn on the news. There's a obviously a big national debate about health care. They're concerned that we might uh, take a step backward on that with some of the things that are being talked about? There's a significant concern about how federal health care reform will affect children's access to health insurance here in North Carolina. So we cut the percent of uninsured children in North Carolina by 50 percent since 2010. And we know how we did it. We know that the Affordable Care Act was a significant factor, but we also know that Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program help more children be able to have health insurance coverage. So any changes that happen at the federal level will have significant impact here in North Carolina. For example, the Senate released its own version of Obamacare repeal and mm. replace. We saw that the bill would create some cuts and caps to um, Medicaid that would essentially create a loss here in the state and could potentially affect eligibility and children's ability to get on that program. Right. Well, we'll, we'll obviously have to keep an eye on, on, on how that affects them. People can find out more if you want to read more about this study and about the work you're doing. They can go to where? ncchild.org? Is That's that right? right? Great. Well, Trip, well, Layla, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you setting the stage for us. We're going to talk to Secretary Cohen next about some more state-specific things. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question, true or false, and I think we just answered part of it. Since 2010, the number of children in North Carolina without health insurance has doubled. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer false? Yes, that's right. The percentage of children in North Carolina without health insurance has actually been cut in half from 8% to 4% since 2010. We're back to talk more about child well-being with the state's Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Dr. Mandy Cohen. Secretary Cohen, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I should mention, I said, I said Dr. Cohen, you are, an, you are an internal medicine physician by training. And uh, before coming to North Carolina and, and taking over the helm at DHHS, you were um, um, heading up the... Uh, you were was a chief operating officer and chief of staff of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is a, a federal agency under DHHS. So okay. thanks so much for being here. So you heard us talking with uh, Layla before. You're obviously familiar with these things because really DHHS, mm -hmm. you're all about mm -hmm. um, delivery of health and human services, mm -hmm. particularly for what, the children and for the mm -hmm. elderly. I mean, that's a big part of your right. job, right? For uh, the vulnerable um, folks across North Carolina, whether it's dis disabled, children or the elderly, yes, that's right. right. Well, the reason why we invited you on, and, I, and, I've, and I've read and heard you speak before, is because um, you can't talk about education. We talk about K-12 mm -hmm. education on this show most of the time, but you have to think about the children that we're trying to educate mm -hmm. and basically what, what they're coming to 
when they come to school, what's their situation mm -hmm. like, and then what it's, what's it like when they're not there. Absolutely. So um, tell me what your views are on sort of that connection. Well, since I've come to North Carolina in the last six months, I've been doing a lot of listening and learning across the state. And one of the areas of, of focus of mine is on early childhood health and education because it is so critical and so fundamental for someone's health and well-being for their whole life, uh, making sure that we get kids off to the best start in life, no matter what zip code they live in, um, across this state. Um, it is a big focus of the governor's. I think you know his personal focus on education overall, right. but really a personal passion for um, early childhood education. And so you saw uh, major investments in his budget, and we were happy to see the General Assembly um, take up some of those um, places. And so our department oversees, for example, um, the NC Pre-K program, where we help um, 25,000 kids get into pre-K, which is um, critical to making sure that they can make a good transition into grade school, get to that um, really important metric of good third grade reading level, which really predicts whether right. or not they're going to finish high school. Um, we also oversee the uh, child care subsidy program, um, which uh, speaks to making sure kids are in a loving and safe environment, one that is um, where, they, where they can be learning, but while mom and dad can be off working um, and making sure we're thinking about family resiliency and stability for kids as we, we um, as they walk through life, and I think I'll remind folks that in the in the Medicaid and child health. Um, insurance program, um, we pay for half of the births in the state of North Carolina, wow. half of them. Um, and so when we know we need to do better there in terms of um, low birth weight and making sure that mom's getting prenatal care and that kids are getting off to the, the right start before they even enter into the world. And so that's what we're really focused on. It's a continuum. It takes a lot of focus and energy. We have a great team, um, but we have a lot of work to do as the numbers show. Right, and that's one of the things that I, and the reason why I asked um, Layla about it too, was when we talk about things like Medicaid, particularly Medicaid, because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, and I, and, I, and I want our viewers to understand just how many children mm -hmm. are served by a program like that, because yeah. I think it gets called up like everything does these right. days, right, in politics, but yeah. um, this 1. is a... 1.2 million children are served by Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 1.2 million. Um, so we are very concerned um, if access to care would be um, uh, affected for those kids. Again, being healthy makes allows those kids to get to school um, and to take advantage of those investments that we're making um, in the educational space. But if they come to school hungry, sick, tired, afraid, um, they're not going to be as successful. Right. And that's why it's more than just what we're doing in the four walls of the school, but how are we thinking about their health overall and family resiliency and self-sufficiency. And so that there's a suite of programs um, that we at the state work, work on. But this is really a community-wide effort that we partner with many, many many um, organizations across the state to help right. with. And you mentioned um, early education and preschool being part of uh, DHA. There's, we actually have been making some some positive investments in early childhood. The General Assembly, as uh, the governor's budget, we're, we're, we haven't completely eliminated the waiting list for, right. but, but... Making a dent. Getting and there, and right? And progress is great. And, and, and I understand you're going to be working more closely with the uh, Department of Public Instruction on a new right. effort. Tell me about that. That's right. So um, thanks to some, again, work in the General Assembly 
actually uh, helping us establish an interagency council because we know that transition from birth to five and then into grade school and through, um, through uh, age eight. We know that's such an important continuum and we want to make sure that the things that we're doing in early childhood make sure that they continue on into grade school and how can we better link together the work that we're doing. Are we aligning metrics and are we, are we making our investments in a way that is, that is supporting families, supporting those kids, supporting our teachers. Um, and so I, I'm excited for that work. Um, again, that's, that's really been ongoing, but now has um, an, an added level of, of attention and, and resource. Now, now that you've been spending some more time in North Carolina, I know you've been, you've been out uh, across the state, um, are you surprised or were you already well aware of, um, I called it the two North Carolinas, but mm -hmm. the dramatic difference. You mentioned where a child is born, their zip code mm -hmm, right. um, has, is such a big factor. Did that, does that surprise you at a state like this? Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, my work at the federal level, I think, was very aware of uh, the challenges of, of rural America. Um, I worked for um, that past Secretary of Health and Human Services who was from rural West Virginia, okay. and we talked about rural issues um, quite a lot. And so when I was coming here, I think I, I saw some of those. I think seeing it up close makes me think differently about how we want to address them here in North Carolina. One of the things that I think is top of mind for me when I think of rural issues is one, access to care certainly, and do we have the right um, folks to, to help folks in rural areas, but also brings to mind the opioid crisis. I was gonna ask you about that because yeah. that's been on the news. Bring that home for us. Yeah, so um, it's one of those places where in, in rural areas where um, there isn't as much opportunity in terms of employment, we're seeing higher rates of um, opioid addiction. Um, and it is a very complex issue that it's a whole show in and of itself, yes, it so is. invite me back. I'd no, love yeah, to talk about yeah. it. Um, but it is something that is seeing a strain on families and, and on our kids. Right. And we're seeing our foster system really start to burst at the seams, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I just saw, a, I think I just saw a story this morning that mm -hmm. our, the number of children mm -hmm. in foster care has gone up something like 40% yeah, in the yeah. last six years, which is, which is astonishing to me. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and, and I we assume see that a direct least... relationship between the opioid epidemic and that. And so I'm, I'm so appreciative of some work of, again, General Assembly, Senator Berenger and others um, working to think about how do, we, how do we help the most vulnerable children in our community. Again, tackling the opioid crisis, I think, is going to be an integral part of that. We just released an action plan for the state that involves way more than the Department of Health and Human Services, but our Attorney General's Office um, the, uh, and other law enforcement, as well as education, veteran community, and others. Um, it's, it's a tough problem. Again, foster foster kids and, and the foster system is one of the places in where we see this um, uh, uh, crisis really bubbling over. Because of incarceration, but, but also, frankly, uh, the, uh, social services, it gets brought in when yeah. obviously it's an unsafe situation yeah. for the But child. we have a lot of work to do, so I don't want to minimize how hard it will be to, to uh, really turn the tide of that crisis and think about our vulnerable kids overall. These are really challenging issues, but I, I feel good that we're bringing the right coalition together to think hard about it. There's some fantastic fantastic leaders in this state in child and early childhood education and um, thinking about childhood advocacy and right. I'm excited to work with them. I know we can solve this problem right. together. Well, well thank you for being here. We're, it's thank a you. lot to cover. It's important work. So thank thanks you. for being here. Secretary. Pleasure. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights people and programs making a difference in North Carolina. This week, we're going to spotlight Wake Tech Community College summer programs for girls in STEM. We have two camps this summer, one called GRITS, Girls Raised in the Sciences, and one called GIS, Girls in STEM. In both the camps, I'm really excited that the girls are going to get to learn about how tie-dyeing actually works with chemistry. We've got DNA analysis going on in the camps, fingerprinting, statistical coding. We need more girls in STEM, more of the more female engineers, more female doctors. And I teach a lot of the upper level courses and it's kind of disturbing when you go in and you have two or three girls. We hope that it helps them realize that they are able to do STEM level courses and that they are important in this field and that it's not just the guys that can do all this engineering. If we don't want to fall behind, we need more, more of our young students, our kids, shooting towards these fields. If we don't prepare them well enough, our country kind of falls behind in general. In terms of our camps, we're really excited. The GRITS camp is the first one, runs July 10th through 13th, and we still have some openings, so we would love to see more girls in that camp. And our second camp is the week right after that. The high school camp is new, and we're really excited about that one. So again, we're, we have some openings, so we're hoping to see some registrations come in. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. While the focus of Education Matters is K-12 public education, we also spend a great deal of time talking about issues that affect children before, during, and after formal school time. When you study the data and the issues that Layla Bell and Secretary Cohen discussed, the elephant that is almost always in the room is poverty. Today in this vast wealthy nation of ours, 15 million children live in poverty. In North Carolina, more than 500,000 or about one in five children live in poverty. And that's based on the federal government's definition of poverty, which is a family of four with a total household income of $28,000 or less. Research suggests, though, that on average families need about twice the federal threshold to meet their basic needs. In the Annie Casey Foundation Index, economic well-being is one of the four domains used to measure child well-being. But the truth is economic well-being impacts nearly all the others, whether it's reading proficiency, which we know directly correlates to the number of books in the home, for example, to lack of access to health care, which we know is overrepresented in our high poverty communities. Education has been called a great equalizer. It can be. Many have overcome tremendous odds and excelled in school and went on to make their mark in the world. But if we're going to give education, give our teachers, our school leaders, our children a fighting chance, we have to address poverty. It cannot be separated. And we can't pretend it doesn't exist or turn our backs on the real challenges that the poor and needy face and not expect to pay a price ourselves. I am reminded of one of the most haunting scenes from my favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol with the great George C. Scott. It's during the visit by the ghost of Christmas present when he pulls back his robe to reveal two sick, malnourished, filthy children. 
the ghost bellows at Scrooge. They are your children. They are the children of all who walk the earth unseen. Their names are ignorance and want. Beware of them, for upon their brow is written the word doom. They spell the downfall of you and all who deny their existence. Scrooge then asks the ghost of Christmas present to cover them up because he doesn't want to see them anymore, again with the robe. The ghost complies, but then he sneers at Ebenezer Scrooge and says, they are hidden, but they live. Oh, they live. That's it for this week's show. Next week, we're going to discuss the recent move by the General Assembly to eliminate retiree health benefits for future teachers and all state employees. You'll definitely want us to tune in. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>